All right, we are going to do part two of our church membership series. So if you're visiting today, Waypoint has been on the last couple years uh, since we planted on a journey to build foundations upon which we can grow. It's been an exciting last few weeks for us. Um, our first foundation that we laid really was our statement of faith. Um, that was a big deal. We worked through that last year. Um, our next foundation we laid was in an elder body. We've done that. The next foundation that we laid from there was last week with our deacon body. Today we're going to finish uh, part two of a two-part message on church membership, which is the fourth piece of a foundation for any church. Um, and so uh, we, we are working toward implementing a membership process. We had our first membership class last week. If you weren't able to make it, don't come this next week because we're, what we're doing with that is, and, and Bo and Duane and I, even as elders, are, are going through this class uh, to set a precedent. If, if people want to become a member of the church, the class will be required because in the class, uh, we're, we're basically telling people, here's who we are. Here's what we believe. Um, if you line up with that and you want to join, great. So uh, the next class will be offered we don't have an exact date. We've talked about probably January-ish. So if you weren't able to make it last week and you want to be part of the church membership process, be looking on the horizon after the holidays for the next class. Um, two weeks ago, before our deacon ordination last week, I started this two-part series on church membership. And what I talked about was biblically what the church is, its nature. And uh, I, I mentioned in that sermon, these really aren't so much preaching, preaching sermons. There are more teachings. Um, and I, I recognize that. Maybe you're used to a preacher getting up and preaching. This is really a more teaching format um, for these two lessons. Um, the, the church we see in Scripture is depicted, one, is universal, two, is local. Um, we have this in our own statement of faith, if you're curious as to what exactly that means. But, but what we see in Scripture is anybody who's come to saving faith in Christ, that is, they've repented and they've believed in the Lord, they are baptized by the Spirit of God into His body. They are one body, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, as Paul said. Um, and that, that's regardless of what denomination you might have been affiliated with. If you are truly born again, you are truly part of Christ. And you are a member of His body. But there's also the local manifestation and that varies, right? Um, local churches um, don't always agree on, on doctrines or how to best express their faith or whatever. Some may be in serious errors. Some may, some may not be so serious, whatever the case is. And so, unfortunately, we have a bunch of denominations um, uh, that you know, are divided where sometimes they don't necessarily need to be divided. Um, we might not agree on something, but it doesn't mean we're, we have to be divided with them. Sometimes we do have to be divided with some, um, depending on what it is that the issue is. This morning, what I'm going to talk about is making a case for actually placing membership in a church. And I recognize that this probably isn't um, a very popular topic in our postmodern age. We have a, a millennial group coming up that really does not like commitment. And that really is across every kind of relationship they may have. Um, divorce rates are higher than ever. Um, they, they, they might focus um, more on the, the universal church rather than local church and, and don't see the need to, to identify with one body. Um, 
They, they just see a lot of the problems with it, all these things. Um, and, and part of it, too, is they just don't want to be tied down. They don't want to be accountable in a lot of times. But none of those points in and of themselves really um, are, are found in Scripture as reasons not to join. Um, the greatest challenge to a church membership doctrine is that the Bible actually never says church membership in particular, never talks about it in those terms. So what I'm going to do this morning is really try and walk us through, even though the Bible doesn't talk about church membership using those words, the structure of church membership is without a doubt there, and, um, and the need to, uh, to identify with a local church, we do see. Um, I read some funny quotes this week regarding just the fickleness of people regarding church membership. This author, Ronald Blythe, who's an Englishman, a British author, said this about churchgoers in England. He said, The British churchman goes to church as he goes to the bathroom with the minimum of fuss and no explanation if he can help it. I laughed when I, I laughed out loud when I read that because I was like, that's a lot of people right there. They don't, they don't want attention drawn to them when they go and they don't want to engage with people once they're there. They just want to get in and out with zero fuss and, uh, and leave me alone kind of attitude. They don't really want to engage with the church or with people in the church. Um, I feel that awkwardness sometimes with people because I'm the pastor. And I have this uh, stigma because I'm the pastor where people are sometimes afraid to come talk to me or interact with me. And uh, I think it's just my ugly looks personally. But, um, but you find this attitude in the church in America. And uh, I'm, I'm hoping that we leave today with a biblical case for why we should place church membership. And I'm not necessarily going to try and twist your arm to place church membership here. That's not what I'm after. Uh, and you'll see, I don't think that everybody will be called here. Um, however, if you are called here, I think it's important to commit to it, uh, despite what our cultural tastes may find. The reasons I think it's important is we're called members of one another by Paul the Apostle. Um, I did a study a couple weeks back where all the terms that are used in Scripture of Christians are familial terms. We're called brothers and sisters. Paul identified as their spiritual father, this church and that church. Um, even Jesus said when, when he, he was told his brothers and sisters biologically were outside of the house he was speaking and seeking him, he said, who's my brother and sister? It's not those who do the will of God, right? So he identifies it with the terms that are, are most dear, closest, familiar terms that you can identify with. Uh, in a church. That's how we are to view one another. And the reason being is because in the church, I believe, is where you will most grow in Christ's likeness. Because I don't believe any one of us has reached perfection yet. And uh, if you raise your hand that you have reached perfection, I'll talk to you afterward and you might not want to come back. No, I won't beat you up. But we all struggle with sins, right? We all have issues. And sometimes it's within the church walls that the graces of Christ are, uh, are most strained and least practiced. Would you agree with that? It's easier, in other words, to leave a church than to actually have to forgive one who sinned against you within the church. Right? It's easier to leave a church than to bear with the weaknesses of another. And that's what happens in the church. I think it's within these walls where the character and nature of Christ is most formed in you. But what that means is you got to be willing to commit 
as a husband commits to a wife for the long haul. That's what it should be. We don't, we don't want to just have the option of, oh, I'm going to bail once it gets tough. That's our culture, and we are influenced by that. But what did Jesus say? If one sins against you, how many times do you to forgive them? Seventy times seven. And what he means by that is, look, don't keep track. You forgive as often as they sin. You're committed to that degree. I would love to see a church that is so committed to one another in that way, where even when we do sin against each other, we are able to exercise love, exercise forgiveness, exercise patience, and actually grow deeper in relationship with one another. But it does take a radical shift in thinking from what our culture is. I love reading Revelation chapter 2 and 3 with the seven churches because you see this radical commitment by Jesus. Um, now granted, the churches that he ended up addressing issues with, he gave them an ultimatum finally. He said, if, if you don't deal with this sin, I'm going to remove your lampstand. The churches at Thyatira, for instance, and Sardis had a lot of sin issues. And what's easy to miss is how long Jesus persevered with them. And even when he identifies all these things going on in the church that we would look at and be like, I'd never even step foot in that church. Jesus is still there. He's still waiting for him. And he's still saying, look, if you come and repent, I'll forgive. He's committed to him. But there does come a time, unfortunately, where you might need to leave a church. And we'll talk about that at the very end. I don't want to start with that. We're primarily going to ask six questions this morning. First, what does church membership mean? Second, uh, is church membership even biblical? Okay, Those really are the two foundations. What does it mean and is it biblical? Uh, once I give my argument for that, I'm going to consider the next four. What are the expectations? One, of a, of a prospective church member. In other words, what would it be that, that I as a pastor would expect you to be a part of? And then I'll reverse that. What are the expectations that you as a church would have of me as a pastor? What should you expect from your leadership? Those are important things to ask. Um, in other words, I don't really care how big Waypoint gets. I, I don't want to just grow a, a numerically large church. I want to grow a spiritually healthy church. What that entails is that I'm binding myself to obligations scripturally to you. And I want to meet them... Bo wants to meet them. Dwayne wants to meet them. Our deacons want to meet those obligations. Next, I'll give some practical advice. The last two points, some really practical points. One, what to look for in a church. And then reasons that you should or should not leave a church. Okay, And those will go fairly quickly. So, for the first question, if you're taking notes, what does church membership mean? Well, the idea is scripturally of a local congregation we established last week, but it's surrounded by two truths scripturally. One, we are members of one another. Literally, we're identified as family. Two, there's a biblical word used in the Greek called koinonia, and it means partnership, fellowship. It's one of several things in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, that that. Luke identifies the early church committed themselves to the apostles' teaching, uh, the breaking of bread, to fellowship, to the prayers. Um, biblically, in classical Greek, as well as scripturally, this word entails several things. 
And this is important. I'm going to go through this quick because you'll get the, the idea of what fellowship, partnership, how it extended into the fabric of a society, into the fabric of a people group, what it meant. It was used, for instance, to describe a business partnership in classical Greek as well as biblical. It is used to describe an individual's fellowship with Christ himself in salvation. That shows you the depth of what a partnership is. Christ has literally covenanted himself to you. He's bound himself to you in partnership, in fellowship. It's used of the Lord's Supper. It's indicated by the Lord's Supper when we come together, proclaiming together in fellowship the Lord's death until he comes. It's used of Christian conformity to Christ in both his death and resurrection. In fact, that's what Paul said, that I may um, come into the fellowship of his sufferings if I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. That's pretty deep fellowship. When you're willing to conform to the sufferings of Christ, you are binding yourself to how Christ himself lived and suffered on this earth. But for our purposes, this word is used of the church. And the church should be the greatest expression of spiritual fellowship known to mankind. Now I say that intentionally. The church should be the greatest expression of fellowship to all mankind. So often, the church is not that. What you find in churches is backbiting, jealousies, infighting. Do you not? And over absolutely silly things. It's proverbial now that churches will split when they get ready to change the color of a carpet. How sad and how far that is from a biblical model. The church has been put forward by Christ to show the world, here's what true fellowship should look like with one another. Where you love one another. Where joy is present. Where forgiveness is being exercised. That's what the church should be. That's what fellowship, that's what partnership means. The old Saint Augustine expressed the need for fellowship this way. He says, I loved the talk, the laughter, the courteous gestures toward one another, the sharing of the study of books, the companionship that was sometimes serious and sometimes hilariously nonsensical, the differences of opinion that left no more bad feeling than if a man were disagreeing with his own self. In other words, what he's saying is, you might have a difference of opinion about something. You know what? I still love you. We can talk about that. And then he says, in the rare disputes that simply seasoned the normal consensus of agreement. Sometimes within the church, there's differences of opinion that are over serious issues. I think today's generation is so afraid to talk about hard things. Partly because our culture's politicized everything and you just... Fireworks explode. We've lost the ability to talk about difficult issues and still come to love one another. I've been talking in my worldview class about the, the cultural idea of tolerance versus a biblical idea of tolerance. Today, tolerance has come to mean you are to embrace every idea. Biblically, tolerance is you are to embrace every person. But you may not agree with every idea. Every idea is not created equal. Every person is. In the end, there's a right and there's a wrong. Not everyone can be right. And not only that, some ideas are very cons consequential. 
either to an individual, to society, to whatever it is. We must develop this ability in fellowship to come together, to bear with one another in patience, in love, in conviction, in seriousness, in play, in everything. Fellowship. So that's what church membership means. Another man simply said it this way, God calls us not to solitary sainthood, but to fellowship in the company of committed men and women. Committed men and women. Remember that word because that is my heart. I don't really want church members who aren't committed. I don't want church members who aren't committed to pray for me, number one. I have so many fears, so many failings, so many shortcomings, so much anxiety over a church plant. I want you to be committed to pray for me. And if you're not, hey, don't plant membership because that's the kind of Christian I need. But it's also the kind of Christian I want to be to you. I want to be zealously committed. Our second question then, is church membership something that's even biblical? Because like I said, it's not mentioned in Scripture, but I believe the structure is identified. There's four points, four reasons uh, that we're going to look at. And this really will be the kind of heart, the meat of our sermon today. There's four points why I think church membership is biblical. One, the example we see in the early church. Um, let's go ahead and look at some passages. So I've quoted Acts chapter 2, verse 45 through 47, but go to Acts chapter 5. Um, it, it makes sense that Acts being the historical account of the growth of the church that we'd find several passages here. Uh, the very first sermon on Pentecost, we see that structure taking place. Uh, people were, were believing the message Peter preached, and the text tells us there were added 3,000 souls to their number that day. And you see that pattern over and over and over. An exact count, right? There's, there's so many people coming to the Lord, and they knew that they were coming to the Lord. Um, then in Acts chapter 5, verse 12 and 13, this is, a, this is a great little passage, okay? So Ananias and Sapphira have just been laid low because of their sin, right? Um, it says, Now many signs and wonders were being regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. Now, you might just read over that and say, oh, okay, yeah. What, what was the picture there, though? The judgment fell upon Ananias and Sapphira, who were being hypocrites. And it, what it did is it purged the church of hypocrisy early on. And the Lord drew a very clear line for those who would think about committing themselves to this Christian body, but what it did in their hearts and minds was say, look, if you're not serious about walking in holiness, don't dare join them because the Lord judges His people first. Right? So they wouldn't. It was by the Lord's design that He drew a line and said, look, here's who my body is going to be. I am righteous. I am holy. And I'm calling my people out. If you're not there, don't dare join them. Because as the Scripture says, judgment begins with the house of God. If you go over to 1 Timothy, this, this kind of pattern in the book of Acts, by the way, continues, right? They knew the church was growing. And uh, Acts 6, we used last week, the, the people were coming together and they knew that the needs of the people were not being met. Their own were not being fed. 
Since we covered that last week in our deacon ordination, we're not going to cover it today. But in 1 Timothy, we have this structure identified in the caring of widows. Chapter 5, 1 Timothy chapter 5, beginning in verse 9. Paul writes this, Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband, having a reputation for good works, if she's brought up, uh, brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, has devoted herself to every good work, but refused to enroll younger widows. Right? And then it goes on to give instructions. What's the point? There was some kind of role the church had that they were keeping track of this stuff. Um, I don't know that I'd go so far as to say, well, that's the church role, that's the church membership role. I don't know that I'd say that. But nonetheless, there was a known accounting of their members, right? For widows indeed versus younger widows who could still work and provide and so on and so forth. So we see this example played out in all the churches. Um, we also see this structure from the example or existence of church leadership or government. Okay, This will be more familiar to you because I've labored so much to establish a healthy perspective biblically of what church government leadership should look like. Paul told Titus in Titus 1.5, Look, Titus, I'm sending you to all the churches of Crete. Why? To establish elders in every place. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1-7, through 7, Paul outlines, here's the qualifications for one who's going to be in leadership, who's going to lead the people of God. The same qualifications for the most part are given in Titus 1 as well. I want you to turn to Hebrews 13 though. This is yet another passage that we used in establishing a biblical idea of what is church leadership to be. Verse 7 of Hebrews 13 and then verse 17. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the Word of God, and consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So the body there is being exhorted to what? Remember the leaders over you and watch their life because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You will know if their life is matching up and only imitate that which is good. Only submit to that which is good. Verse 17, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. And let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So the biblical mandate for us as leaders is we're watching your souls. Well, that obviously implies something. That there's some sort of relationship intact where you've submitted to the, the authority God gives certain men to lead you. But you've only submitted because you've watched their life and you say, you know what, I can submit to that person. Their life is Christ-worthy. They're not hypocrites. doesn't mean we're going to be sinless. But I, I can submit to that person. I, I admire how they live. They live a Christ-like way. All that implies a certain relationship of accountability, structure, uh, accountability both ways, right? Church members accountable to the church leaders, church leaders accountable to the Lord for how they govern and lead you. So the existence of church government is the second line, I would say, that shows church membership is something that is biblical. The third one uh, is the exercise of church discipline, accountability. 
Matthew 18 is the first passage we see this in. Uh, If you want to look at that with me, go to Matthew 18. We'll read verses 15 through 17. So Jesus says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Now, we're not going to go up off onto the theory of church discipline. I'll say this simply. Church discipline is always seeking to restore an individual. Um, that's its aim. And church, church discipline, unfortunately, is one of those teachings today that most rubs people. <laughs> they do not want accountability for how they live, but it is undeniable Christ calls us to a completely different standard than what the world does because He is holy, He is just, and His people are called to that. Now, you don't exercise church discipline whimsically or anything like that. Like I said, we won't go into that. The the purpose is to restore an individual. As a cross-reference to that point, you can write down 1 Corinthians 5 and 2 Corinthians chapter 2. To sum it up briefly, in 1 Corinthians 5, chapter where a man is sleeping uh, with his father's wife, having an affair. The church was just accepting it, thinking that's a sign of God's grace toward him. Paul says, you need to get that guy out of there. Get him out of fellowship because it will spread to everyone. They do that, but then they wouldn't let him back in after he repented. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul says, you need to let him back in. <laughs> He's repented. He's done what you wanted. He's going to be overcome with sorrow. Restore the man, Right? So that's a biblical example of church discipline and its aim. But just the presence of church discipline and accountability in that sense shows an idea, this idea of structure and biblical membership. The last one I would say is this, and this is probably most important for us today, the exercising of spiritual gifts. In 1 Corinthians 12, if you want to turn there with me, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul outlines... Such a beautiful, uh, beautiful truth. And this is, um, this is something why I think the church needs people who are willing to commit, commit to each other. 1 Corinthians 12, let's just begin reading in um, verse 4. Paul writes, There are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are a variety of service but the same Lord, and there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each, that's individual, to each individual is given the manifestation of the Spirit for what? The common good. So why do you have a spiritual gift or gifts? For us. In other words, your spiritual gift is meant to build me up. And my spiritual gift, which one of them I believe teaching, is to build you up. That's why we have spiritual gifts. We need it, in other words. Now, here's what happens. We've created an environment in church today, in the culture today, where we just allow people to come and sit. And what we're doing is really depriving the body of its own health. And that's sad. 
God equips people differently for the building up of the saints. And you are expected to use those gifts because I need that and you need that. We all need that. If a hand is given to the body, it can't do the work of an eye. And if an eye is given to the body, it can't do the work of an ear. And so on and so forth. That's the illustration Paul builds in this whole chapter. And so we're members individually, but we're one body. And just as my body has individual members, it needs all of them to function to full capacity. If we're not committed in church membership to each other, we'll suffer in this area. So, those are the four things that you see, and and really we could develop it more. There's three other portions of Scripture that talk about spiritual gifts. All of them make the same point. Gifts are given to the body to build each other up. Okay, Romans 12, Ephesians 4, and 1 Peter 4 are the other three. Those four truths, I think, show a structure of, of, of church membership to be biblical. Um, now, that doesn't mean, none of that means, for instance, spiritual gifts. You, might, you can't go over to Hillside or whatever and help them with something, right? I'm not saying that. I'm not saying, hey, once your waypoints, you're ours only, you know. <laughs> not me. When we have fellowship with other churches, yes, use your gifts, do things for them. But at the same time, if this church has, has a need that you meet, man, commit yourself to it because we need it. All right, third point. What are the expectations uh, of a prospective member? And why do I even bring this up? Well, it's popular today um, to, to, to speak in terms of volunteerism, right? You hear that all the time. Um, it's, become, it's become really something... Uh, our, our culture has embraced, right? We need to volunteer for all these causes. Um, and, and that language and that idea has really been grabbed onto and imported into the church. And in one sense, like if someone speaks in those terms, I, a lot of times I get what you're saying, but I want to be careful about this idea because when we embrace this idea of volunteerism, we actually lose something biblically. Here's what we lose, okay? Volunteerism gives the idea an impression that Hey, you have the choice to do this or not do this. If you want to do this, do it. If you don't want to do it, don't do it. The Bible really doesn't speak like that in regards to to church membership. It actually speaks in terms of responsibility. If you are a member of Christ, you have a responsibility to do this. It's not, eh, I don't really want to do that. You are expected to serve. That's why God has given you a gift. But there's joy in that. There's fulfillment in that. The Lord created us to be workers, right? And there's expectation and fulfillment and satisfaction in giving. In fact, the church is least happy, least joyous when it's self-serving. The nature of Christ is to pour yourself out for others. That's beauty. So what are expectations? What's responsibilities? Well, as a member, you have a responsibility to exercise your gift. You have a responsibility to pray, both individually and corporately. You have a responsibility to serve in the ministry of discipleship. When Jesus gave the Great Commission, He gave it in the imperative. Go make disciples, right? You have a responsibility of that, as do I. You also have a responsibility, according to Acts 1.8, to be a witness of Christ, to evangelize, to share your faith. Those are not volunteerish ideas. Those are imperatives in Scripture. Um, 
And, and really, when you, when you fail to see that, you're really only hurting yourself first and foremost. Uh, like I said, if, if you're not serving somehow, if you're not um, building up the church and your giftedness, you're going to be a miserable Christian. You're not going to be a flourishing one. I've never seen a flourishing Christian who never gets involved. It's impossible. So, the fourth thing, what are the, let's turn it around, what are the expectations you, the church, should have from the church? Turn to Acts chapter 20 with me. And by the way, whether you end up at Waypoint or not, I would hope that when you visit churches, this would be one of your considerations. Okay? That this, you would expect your church leaders to be this for you, whether it's here or somewhere else. Acts chapter 20, verse 29, Paul said this to the elders of the church at Ephesus. He says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And even from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Verse 31, therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. Okay. Uh, before that, he says in verse 28, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you an overseer to care for the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. So what should you expect from church leadership? That we are caring for your souls. That we're teaching you, we're building you up, we're praying for you, we're ministering to you. If your church leaders aren't doing that, don't go to that church. That's a biblical mandate I have to you. And I think so many churches struggle because biblical leadership is lacking in this way. We're more concerned about putting on the show and making sure that as you come to the, the service, man, you, you, you're entertained, you're whatever. That's not me. That's not my idea. I care about your soul and I want to see you healthy. So, you should expect that. 1 Peter 5 is another example. Galatians 6, 1-10 through 10 is another example. All showing um, church should be something to you as well. It's reciprocated. You give and you receive. You give of yourself and you receive. Okay? So that's the relationship. That's the dynamic that should be going on in a healthy, growing church. Um, all of us will have seasons of life where I, I need to be poured into. I know this is true for me as a pastor, right? And again, this goes back to why I believe so firmly in a biblical eldership, a plurality of men, because guys, ministry is hard. It's difficult. And guess who, first and foremost, are the ones building me up? Bone Dwayne, my family, other friends. They do it all the time, Right? So there's seasons each and every one of us will have where we need to receive. There's seasons where you also are going to be giving, pouring yourself out for others. When that's happening, man, that's a healthy church. That's good. But those are expectations. It's not really volunteerism, okay? All right, so let's end the last two points. When should you place church membership? What to look for in a church, okay? So I'm going to go through several points for you. Just think about, um, and again, like I said, this is more the application. This is more the teaching aspect of this. Um, when you're going to a church, and we have lots of military people in this community, so this is really something you're going to have to practice a lot as you go from community to community to community. 
What are some things that you should be looking for? Well, here's, I think, some non-negotiables. One, uh, a firm commitment uh, and belief in God's Word as authoritative, as instructive, as inspired, right? They are committed to teaching you the Scriptures. This is so important. Um, And I'm not even talking about necessarily opinions, right? Or, Or just a theme that we can loosely attach to a Scripture. Teaching you the Bible. So that when you leave service, you know this book better. That's what I hope every service, whether it's in a teaching or a preaching format, I hope you can leave with a better understanding of what Scripture says. That's my heart. So you want to go to and look for a church committed to God's Word. Second, you want to go to a church that exalts God. It's holy. It's God-centered, right? If if they're not God-centered, it will be evident. Their, Their focus will be more on them. Uh, but man, a church that loves God, that sees Him as holy, as worthy, as beautiful, and exalts Him, that's where you want to go because God will be with that church. Um, he is, as we read in Ephesians chapter 3 last week, He is to be glorified in the church. That is why we exist, church. We're His body and we, we radiate His glory. So you want, to ex- you want to look for a church that is committed to that. One, you want to go to a church also that teaches salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's the gospel. Um, We can't save ourselves. We can't be good enough. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. A church that swerves from that is no church of God. They've got to have a grasp of the gospel. It's our only hope, but it's sufficient. It's enough. It's powerful, as Paul said in Romans 1, to salvation for all who believe. You want to go to a church that's committed to disciple you, that cares about your spiritual walk, that's not just going to be satisfied with surfacey kind of relationships. Now, I'm not saying uh, every every relationship begins surfacey. You know what I mean? It takes time to self-disclose information. That's how intimacy is created. Uh, when you met your wife, I, I would suppose you didn't. Um, on your first date, ask them all the deepest, darkest things she's ever desired. You'd probably creep her out, man, right? You start slow. You get to know the person. I get that. But at some point, the relationship has to, has to come to a level of intimacy where you say, look, um, I see there's some issues in your life, and I want to grow with you. I want to walk with you. I want to disciple you in that. Uh, the one receiving also says, you know what, I recognize there's issues in my life and I need help. <laughs> and where you can go to a church that says, hey, this is a good environment to do that. Right? You're not going to be beat down because of it, but we're also, we don't want to leave you there. Right? So committed to discipleship. You want to go to a church that, that pursues holiness in their personal lives. This is something we don't talk about or preach about much. Holiness is a, is a topic in our culture, man. Uh, with our moral, relativistic culture, they hate. We're called to holiness, church. And the quickest way to bring judgment upon us is to live unholy lives. I love the example biblically of um, Balaam, right? Balaam couldn't, in the Old Testament, pronounce a curse on God's children. God wouldn't curse him. Despite the king of King Balak wanting him to. But you know what Balaam did? He said, look, I know how to get Israel to fall. Cause them to sin against their God and He'll judge them. So what, what happened? All the Moabite women came. They started sleeping around. 
God brought judgment on his own people. That's why Balaam's an accursed prophet. We pursue holiness. We want to pursue holy lives. One, because it's right. One, because we're created in that way to reflect Christ. He is holy. And He calls us out of the sin that once estranged us from Him. Some other things, quickly before we move on to the next one. That the church is characterized not just by knowledge of the Word, but love as well. We wrote this into our statement of faith The mark of a mature Christian is not how much you can remember and spit back. Mark of a true Christian is how much you love. That shows you truly understand this, right? So you want to go to a church that loves the Word, loves each other. They desire Christian fellowship. They want to be with each other. Oh man, it's so sad when we can come together as God's people and not really want to be with each other, right? When you meet fellow believers, there's, there should be this instant draw to them where I want to get to know you. I want to fellowship with you. And you're actively pursuing those things. There's a presence of joy. Look for that in a church. If there's not joy in that church, man, the Spirit of God's being quenched somewhere. Because where the Spirit of God is, the Scripture says, there's joy. It's part of His fruit. So if there's not joy in this body, something is wrong internally. Now, it doesn't mean you necessarily shouldn't go there, but Understand, there's, there's an issue of health, okay? Lastly, let me finish with this. Reasons when you should or should not leave a church. So, reasons you should not leave a church. There are so many you could write down. I'm just going to read these quickly. Because you have a disagreement with the pastor. Remind you, these are reasons you should not leave. Um, at least whimsically, all right? Because you have a disagreement with the pastor. Because you have a disagreement with another member. Because the church did or did not practice discipline. Because the sermon was too long. Or because the sermon was too short. Because the church was too strict. Or because the, mo- the worship was too modern. Or because the worship was too old-fashioned. <laughs> because you don't agree with the church's political views. Because you are asked to help often. And you don't want to. Because the church was too young. Because the church is too old? Because my children don't want to go to that church? Their friends aren't there. And the list could go on and on and on and on. Those are all reasons you shouldn't leave a church. Those are all reasons you should commit to one another and try and work some stuff out. (laughs) But I just became... Wow, there we go. (laughs) I'll start speaking in my pastor voice. No. So... I believe when we radically commit to one another, some of those issues I just referenced and others can be overcome, right? However, there are reasons, I think, biblically, when you should leave a church and go to another one. But before you get there, before I say what those are, here's what you need to consider. Your motives. Is the reason I'm leaving over a carnal preference, over a carnal issue? Is it, is it something where my flesh needs to be put to death? Um, because we, we can be motivated by truth and we can also be motivated by some issue in our will, even if we know the truth. Or um, you should also consider the reasons that they're well-grounded biblically, that you can point to the Word of God and say, you know what, I see these issues in the church. Here's one, here's one, here's one. And I've persevered, I've prayed, which is one of my points. Have you prayed over these issues? Have you labored have you worked to try and fix them and the church just isn't responding? But you have biblical grounds. Um, it's not just a preference type thing um, that you've prayed, like I said, not just prayed once, like God changed their heart. 
<laughs> Have you prayed, God, change my heart if I need to be changed? And be open to that. Because very often, we've got to take that log out of our eye before we can take the speck out of someone else's, like Christ said. Okay. Um, have you spoke to leadership over the, the issue that's causing you to question about leaving? Because very often, sometimes leaders, I mean, I'll speak for Bone Dwayne and I, we don't see every angle, flat out. We don't see it. Sometimes it takes you to come share something with us and we go, thank you for sharing that. God's given us some insight. We need to lead in that way. Talk to us about it, okay? We are working and laboring to be a very open elder body who listens to you. Because we don't have all the wisdom collectively in this room. Reasons to leave, and I'll end with this. One, has your church fallen into some serious biblical error or apathy? Um, and, and after trying to labor and endure and endure, sometimes like Christ, He just says to Sardis, you know what, I'm removing your lampstand. I've persevered with you. You've been unresponsive in repentance. I'm moving my lampstand somewhere else. And you need to go. Okay. Um, I think another reason to leave a church maybe you didn't think of this, is sometimes you'll go to a church where the areas where you're gifted in, those areas are already met. But you know what? There's another biblical church down the street that you could fellowship with that could really use your gift. If any one of you ever came and said, hey, I'm going to this church because, you know what? I just don't have a place to serve in my giftedness, but this church does. You know what I hope I say to you? Awesome. Because that church needs to be built up just like we do. And if, we, if you're not using your gift and they need it, go. It's a biblical reason, right? You go in peace there. We don't, we don't go in disunity with that. Um, this local manifestation here at Waypoint is not the only manifestation of the body of Christ in Clovis. So I think that's a biblical reason. Um, and I'll say this. Keep in mind, whatever church you visit, you will likely find issues with you will not find a perfect church. As I quoted Charles Spurgeon a couple weeks ago, the minute you walk into a perfect church, you'll ruin it. <laughs> I love that quote. I bring a lot of baggage to a church, even as a pastor. And um, you're never going to find the perfect church. You do want a biblical church. And where there's error, hopefully the, the leadership will humbly see it, correct it, and move forward. All right? My whole goal with this two really brief study on church membership is, is that I, I get so saddened by how people approach the church. We approach the church as consumers. Oh, it grieves me. I, I can't tell you as a pastor how that grieves me when we just have people who are just so loosely connected. Um, and I get there's a season where people, visitors need to try out churches, right? We've told, and we've, Bo and I especially, we, we've talked about this. We try to tell people who visited, look, you need to try other churches. You need to test them. There's a season where you do that, but at some point, I hope we come to see biblically, I've got to make a commitment. I want to commit myself to this people. Yes, they're not perfect. Yes, that Pastor Seth, he's really long-winded and boring, and I'll pray for him. Pray for Him. And we build one another up. That's the picture. We're radically committed. Guys, a church that's radically committed in that way will look so awkward to our culture who does not value that. Who doesn't value it. So easy to walk away and hold our relationship, relationships to each other shallow and loosely. It's just not what the Scripture presents to us. All right? So that ends my series on, on church membership. 
Um, we're going to have communion soon, and we're going to pick up the Christmas season soon, which I'm really excited about. I have some good ideas um, that I'm going to preach on through December, especially uh, about some of the most valuable gifts that we have been given or can give. And um, so I'm looking forward to the next few months, and then come January, we're going to start our new series, okay? So that, that does it. Why don't you guys, I'll invite Ronnie up. I'm going to close this in prayer. And we'll go out singing to the Lord. Father God, thank you for just being a faithful, good, patient, kind, generous God to us, Lord. We are a young church plant. We're figuring things out as we go. Father, you've helped us through the word. You've given us insight. You've given us um, passages, Lord, that we can go to and study and learn what your word says in truth so that these foundations we're laying now can be put in place before we ever try to build a superstructure, Lord. If the foundation's bad, the structure will be bad. And so, Lord, give us a solid foundation. We understand, as Paul said, that Christ is that foundation. He is the cornerstone. So we want to be committed to Him first and foremost in all we do. Father, whether it's in our teaching, whether it's in our encouraging to one another, whether it's in our singing, Father, we're, we're told to sing to You. Father, help us love you above all else, even our very own lives. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.